If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel 16. Now we're going we're gonna to lay some foundation today. I've, I've put, made this a two-part sermon because there's just so much to it, but I've just titled it, How to Win When You've Lost. And we're going to look at the life of David and some different experiences in his life and learn some really important lessons for our lives today. Um, I want to say uh, hello to all of you who are with us for the very first time at One Cause Church. Uh, really glad to have you with us and uh, make yourself at home. This is a place that you can truly call home and have real friends here. And um, I, that's one thing I've always loved about this church. I believe it's the friendliest church I've ever encountered in my life. And uh, I'm honored to be the pastor here. And I am honored to have Cody Brown here. Stand up there. Could you stand up right quick? Let me see. We watched this guy riding the Mesquite Rodeo last night. He's a bull rider, ride for the CBR. And uh, so if ever you want to go watch some good action, that's the guy to watch. So we had a, we had a great time with the Reinecke family and some One Cause Church family as well. So, all right. Have you found 1 Samuel 16? All right, good. Verse 10 says, Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your kids here? Are all the young men here? Jesse, is this all the kids you got? Because he knew he heard from God. God had told him to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons. He says, Do you have any more kids? Now watch. Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. Keeping the sheep. There he is. Apparently, Jesse didn't think enough of David to believe that he would even qualify for this position. Prophet of God comes. Jesse puts out his big boys and leaves his youngest out there because somebody's got to watch the sheep out there. So he leaves the youngest out there, David, and thinking, well, you know, We've got, a, we've got a one in seven chance here. And even, even Samuel himself was smitten by Eliab, the oldest. When he first saw him, he said, oh, surely the hand of the Lord is upon him. God said, no. You look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. And one after another, God rejected one after another. And where he finally had to say, well, do you have any more kids? Oh, yeah, uh, David, he's out there watching the sheep. The first Thing that we're going to look at for a moment is how David is viewed by his own father. David is overlooked by Jesse. Overlooked. Now that might not mean much to you, but as a son in the eyes of his father, that's extremely important. Yeah. I know how important it was for me to have my dad's approval as well as his acceptance. Hmm? And I'm grateful that I have a dad and that always did. But even though I always had it, I still looked for it. I waited for him to look at me if I made a shot at the basketball game. Make eye contact with my dad. Make sure he didn't overlook that special moment. And yet David is overlooked for this scenario I kind of have a feeling this might not be the first time this has happened in his life in this home. Being the youngest, being the youngest in a house of eight, eight brothers, you're going to get overlooked. Turn to 1 Samuel 17. 
Some time has gone by, and three of David's oldest brothers have gone off to war, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. And they're there fighting for Israel. The Philistines have encamped against them, and a man by the name of Goliath, who was a giant, began to, he he put out a challenge for a one-on-one, hand-to-hand combat, and whoever prevailed there, that nation would win. The rep, whatever nation he represented, they would win. So Goliath said, send me a man and fight with me. And uh, if he beats me, we're your servants. If I beat him, you're our servants. And so the challenge went day after day, and nobody would meet Goliath at his challenge. You know the story. Not even Saul. And all of them, ladies and gentlemen, had the ability to do it because God is on the side of Israel always. They are the army of the living God, right? But none of them accepted the challenge because they were looking at the natural circumstances. They were looking at the physical realm and rather than their God. And David shows up on an errand by his dad to take his brother some cheese pizza. And he shows up there, and all of a sudden, Goliath steps out and throws out this challenge against him. This is 40 days he's done this. And David says, what in the world is going on here? And so he heard about what you get if you beat the giant, the rewards. And so he asked somebody else. And about this time, Eliab sees David here asking about this. And he says, what are you doing? Let's pick it up here. Verse, uh, chapter 17 and verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? That tells you that he's overlooked when his brother minimizes what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Those few sheep, your little minuscule nothing job. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. Who has pride and insolence of heart here? For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Now, isn't this interesting? This is his oldest brother. Isn't it this guy's job to protect his little brother? Isn't it his job to to look out for his little brother? And yet, he's been overlooked by his father, and now he's being despised by his brother in front of an audience of people. He didn't even take the, side to pull him, take the time to pull him aside because he's angry, and so he just lashes out at him in front of everybody and cuts him down. David could have some serious issues if he wanted to. And a little later on, even King Saul who sees God's hand on David's life, becomes very jealous of him, so outraged with envy that he takes it upon himself personally to try to take David's life. And David is there actually ministering to him. The scripture talks about a distressing spirit that would come upon Saul because the anointing of God had departed from him. And David would come and play his harp and it would soothe him. But Saul would look at this young man and see everything that he wasn't or isn't. And it would enrage. And so, two different times, he, th- he threw a spear at David to try to kill him, and David fortunately escaped. Tried to kill him with his spear. He even tried to get his own son, Jonathan, to take David out at one time, knowing the kind of relationship that Jonathan and David had. They were, they were best of friends. And when that didn't work, then Saul just went on an expedition with an army of 3,000 to take him out. And they hunted David and his men down like dogs all over the land. And David is running for his life, 
as, as the anointed king of Israel. He's been rejected, overlooked by his father, despised by his brother, and now the king of Israel is after him. Chapters 24 and 26 of Samuel, we see two different opportunities, and we're not going to get into those, but we see two different opportunities where David has an opportunity to kill Saul and yet doesn't and spares his life both times. One, I love the story. One is when they were up in these caves up in these mountains, and, uh, and Saul's army was there. Well, Saul had to take a restroom break, and he went into a cave, as the scripture says, to attend to his needs. And David and his men are in the, the recess of this cave back in the darkness, and they can see Saul. So David sneaks up behind him with his, with his sword and cuts off a piece of Saul's robe and goes back into the darkness. So then Saul finishes his business and walks out and gets you know, a few yards out of the cave. And then David calls out to him and says, I had the opportunity to take your life, but I didn't do it because I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I mean, isn't, you would think David's got every right to slash this king's throat and take his rightful place. After all, he is the Lord's anointed one. But David so respected the Lord and so respected that office of the king that he, even to his own hurt, even, nobody else could even understand. Even his own men were advising him, take this guy out. The Lord's brought him right here to your hands. And yet David, no, he's the Lord's anointed. Because not only David does he love Saul and does he love his, his son Jonathan, Saul's son Jonathan, but David has a future himself to think about as king and how others will deal with him. And he wants to be dealt with honorably. So he is sowing seeds to his future. He's making no room for any man to have any excuse or reason to dishonor him and his kingdom and that anointing upon his own life. And so then David, later on, finds another opportunity with Saul and his guys all asleep. The scripture says that all of his army was encircled around and Saul was right there in the middle. They're all sleeping out there under the stars. And David and a guy named Abishai made their way through the men, all fast asleep. And they sneaked around and they walked over bodies and they stood right over Saul. There he is again, right there. And Abishai says, surely the Lord has delivered him into your hand again, David. Let me take him this time. You won't do it. I'll, I'll pierce him so hard with that spear that I'll only have to do it one time. And David says, no, we're not going to touch the Lord's anointed. Grab that spear and his water jug, though. <laughs> so they take the spear and water jug, and they get out of there, and nobody woke. Nobody ever even saw it happen because the Scripture says the Lord put a deep sleep on him. And then David calls out, Abner, where were you, buddy? This is Saul's number one bodyguard, Abner. Where were you? You should die for this. You weren't watching over your king. I had another opportunity to kill him. And where were you, Abner, oh mighty warrior? Amen. And Saul hears him. He says, is that you, David? And Saul repents. Now, let me say, Saul repented before to David when David showed him they spared his life. And Saul repents now again. But Saul is not proving that he's really sticking to what he said. He, over and over again, he repents, and then he, he pursues him again. So finally, David, it's, I know it's taken me a little bit to set up this story, but this is really important. Are you ready? He knows rejection all too well. His father, his brothers, and now his king. 
Let's look at verse, chapter 27 and verse 1. And David said in his heart, <clears throat> Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. See, he knows what Saul's going to do. Saul's not going to stop until David's dead. There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I'll, I shall escape out of his hand. Now look at this. Then David arose and went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath, where Goliath is from. So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, if I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag, everybody say Ziklag. Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months or 16 months. And you can read on in this chapter and find out that David, they, they had, their, they had their, their town that was given to them, Ziklag, and all their wives and children were there. And, but they would go on these raids. And what they would do, they would raid the all-time enemies of Israel, the old-time enemies of Israel. And the, one of those number one enemies of old, or the number one of old, was the Amalekites. They were, they were descendants of uh, Amalek, who was the grandson of Esau. And they were fearsome, and they were ruthless, and they had no scruples when it came to war. Matter of fact, at one point, they took out all the elderly and the weak from Israel. They attacked them from behind and killed their weak and their old. They didn't care. The Amalekites were barbarians, man. And they were enemies. I mean, arch rivals of, of, of Israel. So David and them, they would go on these raids and they'd attack the Malachites and they'd take their spoils and come back and then they'd go over to this place or this place, anywhere that was, that was deemed not an ally of Israel. So then King Achish would say, so where'd you go on a raid today? And David would say, oh, I went down to southern Judah. You know those Jews, we had to we'd take their stuff from them. And, and I went over here and he started naming all these places that were where his people live, where the Israelites live. And, uh, Long story short, he was lying to this king. He didn't want him to know what he was doing. As a matter of fact, David so did not want him to know what he was doing that wherever he went, wherever he raided, he would kill man, woman, and child. He'd kill all of them because he didn't want any reports coming back to Gath about what he was really doing. He would just wipe them all out. And Achish becomes smitten with this King David. Not yet king, but he becomes smitten with him. And at one point he says, oh man, I've got David. I've got this guy forever. I mean, he's totally despised by Israel. After going in and raiding all them, there's no way that he'll ever be with them again. He's mine forever. Now look at chapter 28. Are you all right? Yeah. So 1 Samuel 28, verse 1. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you assuredly know that you will go with me to battle, you and your men. Now watch what David says. So David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians. Achish is thinking one thing and David's thinking another. They're going against Israel now. And David says, oh, you're about to see what I can do. Him and his 600 men 
They're going to help Saul is what they're going to do. They're going to help Israel defeat the Philistines because they were placed in the rear flank, the very back of the battle. This is where Achish was. And when the Philistine lords came out and they began to to, uh, look over their army, they they had them in groups of hundreds and thousands. And so they were kind of putting their their battle strategy together. And they're walking through and and counting men and and figuring this out. And all of a sudden he sees David and his men. He says, what are these people? Philistine Lord says, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said, oh, oh, no, they're, they're with us. This is, my, this is my bodyguard right here. And I mean, they, they, they fight for us. And these four Philistine lords said, uh-uh. No, you need to take those rose-colored glasses off, Achish. Don't you remember the song, the number one downloaded song on iTunes? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Did you forget about that? Do you have any idea who you're messing with here? And, and, and uh, Achish really wanted him to be there. Well, see, in the rear of the, of the, of the battle, all the higher-ups would be back here, including these four lords. So there's five rulers here of, of the Philistines, and don't you know, back there, David, and he's got these five Philistine leaders back behind all the battle. What are these guys going to do to them? They're going to pounce on them and kill them, Right? So, I mean, David's ready. He's ready to rock and roll. So then, watch this. Chapter 29, verse 9. Then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Yeah, I'd say he's smitten by David. Achish says, I know you're, because David said, what have I done here, right? We're not going to get to go to battle? Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, you shall not go with us to battle. Now, therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come out with you. And as soon as you're up early in the morning and have light, depart. So now he's rejected even by his own enemies. And they send him home. They're in Aphek, a place called Aphek. That's, that's where the Philistines are getting ready for war. 60 miles from Ziklag. That's a long walk. All right? So these guys are making this long walk home. How many of you get tired after walking six miles? Six yards. You can relate somewhere in there. 60 miles these guys have marched, all right? And as they're approaching Ziklag, all they see is smoke billowing from this town up into the sky. And I'm sure that they picked up their pace quick to get there and see what happened. And they show up. And look at this. Chapter 30, verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. <clears throat> took them three days to get there. That the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were with them from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went there. Now, okay, David kills all their people. Why don't they kill David's people? Why why aren't they killing the wives? Because they can sell them. They can sell them for slaves and make money. Dead people are no profit to them. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the, wife, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. What a, what a horrific situation for these guys who have been on the run for so long now from this king. They've lived, they just, they're living like vagabonds just trying to survive and they finally show up to this place and they can only find solace in the 
in a city where their enemies dwell. This is as good as life is for them at this point. And now they come home. They want to be in the arms of their wives and their children after this long march home, only to find that nobody's there and their city's been burned. So they all just collapsed. The scripture says that they cried until they couldn't cry any more tears. They are at a total loss here. And it seems to be the pattern of David's life up to this point. So they start talking it out in the midst of their grief. How many of you know it's not real wise to make important decisions when you are emotionally stirred up? And now the blame game starts. How did this happen? Why are we here? How did... David, you know what? This is all this guy has gotten us. That's all this guy has gotten us. Our fearless leader has brought us into nothing but trouble, and now we've lost our wives and our children because we followed this guy. We go out on these raids. He's got us running all over the countryside. He's got every opportunity to kill King Saul, and he won't do it. He honors the king, but he doesn't honor any of us. Leaves all of our wives and children to be victims. Leaves them defenseless. And the rumor, the talk gets louder and louder. And the scripture says that David, look at verse 6, that David became distressed, was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. They're not just blaming him. They're ready to kill him. They say they're ready to kill him, but notice nobody actually dares to take up a stone to throw at him. Because I think they all remember who the man is because they all came to him at one point and he he trained all of them for war. When he was in the cave of Adullam, Scripture says that they came to him. Even his own mother and father and brothers came. They came to him and they were in debt and they were distressed and they were discontented and they were weak and David took weaklings and made warriors out of them. Because David said, God trains my hands to war. He got his, his training from God himself. So they, they talked about it, but nobody's going to dare pick up a stone and throw it at David. But you can just see just how desperate they are at this situation to get some kind of vengeance, some kind of relief for their, for their loss. Somebody has to pay for this. Because Now watch this. They spoke of stoning because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man, watch, every man was grieving for his sons and his daughters. Well, didn't they have wives? So now he faces the ultimate rejection. His brothers in arms turn on him. David is completely isolated here from anybody that would be his friend, his ally, or his family. He stands alone. And even his own men are ready to get rid of him. Now, if anybody has an opportunity to act out on their issues, I would say that David had a really good opportunity right here to say, 
if my dad hadn't overlooked me, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be in this kind of situation. If my brother had protected me when he should have, then I wouldn't be in this situation today. If King Saul would have seen better, if he would have honored the anointing on me instead of chasing me down like a dog, I wouldn't be in a situation like this. David could have started pointing his fingers at every wrongdoing in his life, every hurt that he experienced. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that's an easy thing to do, to grab a hold of that rejection and, and begin to identify with your loss, to identify with your hurt, and to begin to make decisions based on that. And take your life in a continual destructive spiral and you continue to go the wrong way. And the more you do it, the bigger the blame game gets, the louder your accusations become and the more sure you become of your, the reason that you're justified to feel this way. After all that's been done to me, it's, it's only right. Yeah, guys, throw the rocks. Please kill me now. I'm done. This is, this is what... This is what life has brought me right here. And I'm completely and totally and utterly alone. Please throw the stone, somebody. And he could have just laid down there and died. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He could have. And I might, even, I might even read that story and go, yeah, man, poor guy. Right? But this ain't David. Look, bring up verse 6. How does he respond? Let's say it all together. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But David strengthened himself himself because nobody else was going to do it for him they want to stone him so he can't depend on them everybody else is an emotional wreck he can't depend on anybody else at this moment so David strengthens himself in the Lord his God what does that look like did he start doing push-ups huh did I the tiger kick in and he's uh, doing sit-ups and punching the air. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. No. David strengthens himself in the Lord. How does, that, how does he do that? What does that look like? What does that look like? I have a feeling that he began to retrace his life. And started finding where God was in all of that. Dad overlooked me. But that's when God anointed me. That's when God chose me. Was the day my daddy overlooked me. The day my brother despised me and embarrassed me in front of everybody. That was the day I killed Goliath. That was the day we won a great victory. When Saul was after me. And I was able to escape his hand every time. I could just run up on him on accident. And there he'd be laying on the ground. There'd be, a, just happened to be in a cave with his back to me. Easy prey. And yet God kept showing me that he was with me all along. And even made Saul's own son my very best friend. I have a feeling that he just began to talk about that. Just like he did that day when Saul said, how are you going to beat this Goliath? He said, I'll tell you how I'm going to beat him. 
a lion came out and took one of my lambs, and I took him by the beard, and I beat the snot out of him and killed him, and I took the lamb from his mouth, and then a bear came after me, and I did the same thing to the bear. The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, and he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. It'll be just like them. Whatever trouble I am finding myself in right now, now I know I feel all alone, but I also know that God is with me. He's been with me from the very beginning. He knew my name. He knew me when I was out there in that, out there in that field when men couldn't even see. Even the prophet couldn't even see it coming. The prophet's looking at my big, tall brother, but God's looking at me out there in the field. A man after God's own heart who laid out there would say, Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens and the works of your hands, the moon and the stars that you've ordained, what am I? Who is man that you're mindful of him? God, how could you look down upon this little shepherd boy and care about him so much? David had this understanding of God at a very early age. He knew God was with him. And every time he found himself in difficult situations that would take so many people out where they would just, at that moment, just give up and throw on the towel and say, I'm not doing it anymore. David seems to rise above at this moment. There's some secret that he knows. There's something that he has experienced already by his God that, that if he knows if he can just get to God, if he can just fasten himself to God, then he is going to come out all right. He strengthened himself in the Lord as God. That word means to fasten or to attach yourself to. He attached himself to God. He began to say what God has said. I think he probably thought about the very heritage that, that he came from. It all started with this man who just walked out in the desert following God's voice by the name of Abram. And God said, go out of your father's house and I will show you great things. I'm going to give you a land and you're going to have descendants all over the earth. This man followed God by faith. Turn to Romans 4 and we'll finish with this. Verse 16, therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace. The only way that you'll ever receive the grace of God is faith. That is your receiver of grace. So that the promise might be what? The promise might be sure. Faith, faith in God releases the grace of God to you so that the promises of God are sure to you. Sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law. This isn't just, about, this isn't just for the Jews, it's saying. But also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Let's continue. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Who said that? Who said that word, those words right there? God said that. God said that to Abraham. I have made you a father of many nations. Well, when did you do that? Because I'm old and shriveled up and I ain't got a kid. I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Keep going. Who contrary to hope, in hope believe. Now this is amazing to me. This is, this, this is what Christians get. As believers, we always have this one thing right here. It's called hope. I don't buy into the world's philosophy as, well, don't get their hopes up. You don't want to get their hopes up. Abraham had no reason to hope. His life is contrary to hope. His body is contrary to the hope of this ever happening. God says, oh, I'm a father of many nations. Woo. You sure about that? Right? According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now look. See, he had hope in what God said. Look. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. So what that just tells us is weak faith is that which considers the circumstances. 
Weak faith is that which considers the body, that which considers the natural things, that which considers those things that are happening around you. It puts them in the calculation, and therefore your faith never gets strong. It keeps it weak. But Abraham didn't even consider his own body. What? Already dead. Everybody else would say, you're a dead man walking. Since he was about 100 years old and, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, not only did he have to not consider himself, but he'd look at his little shriveled up, wrinkled up wife and say, and, and not even consider that either. Right? All he could do with her is say, isn't it going to be great when we start having kids? And remember, God said, it's out of your womb, your we already tried that thing with Hagar. That didn't work out so well. God says, it's going to come from you. Look at this. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was, look at, oh, he was where? He was strengthened. This is what David, this is what David knew. This is what he knew to do in a situation where it's hopeless, where all the odds are stacked against you. Don't you know Abraham felt so alone in this, in this world when he's telling everybody he hadn't started his family yet at 100 years old? You are alone in that stance. Nobody else is going to go with you on that. Right? But was strengthened in faith doing what? Giving glory to God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Just like his father Abraham strengthened himself in his faith in God. That is by giving glory to God. What's that look like? Saying what God said despite what you're experiencing. Declaring his promise when you don't see anything in sight, when you don't feel it, when you don't personally know it, but you're just out there walking by faith. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you today, it is not over. There is hope. And I want to encourage you to hope in God. David found himself a few different times throughout the Psalms, and this might have been one of those times when he said, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. I will yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. I will not lay down and die here. If God did it before, he has to do it again because my God doesn't change. I've been able to rely on him every time. He's brought me the victory every time. And I know he'll do it again. How to win when you've lost You pick yourself up out of the ashes, out of the muck, out of the despair by lifting your voice and giving God the glory and declaring his promises. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If God be for me, who can be against me? The Lord is with me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Why should I ever be afraid? God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and with his stripes I'm healed. Just like your father Abraham, just like David. The same God is no respecter of persons. You can be strengthened in the Lord your God today. Take hope. Believe God. Believe that he's more than not just able, but he's willing and faithful to accomplish what he said he will do. God can be trusted. If you'll trust him with eternity, how hard is it to trust him for this temporary life? 
Let's pray for a moment. Every head bowed for a moment. Come on up, John. I think that there are some of you here today that, that if you're at that place, maybe even now, where you, you just feel like it's just one more contrary circumstance and you're really up against it right now. Be encouraged today. Or maybe you're here today and you've already thrown in the towel. With maybe a relationship or accepted a certain kind of health problem and just hoping to just cope with it and deal with it. Today, take courage. God will not fail you. His word will not fail. And he is greater than any circumstance, situation, or challenge that you are facing even today. Today, let him be who he is to you. Let his love and grace abound to you. But grace, it's only according to grace. You can only have grace when you reach up by faith and say, okay, God, I surrender. I surrender to you. I am going to see what you have said I can have by saying what you said. You need to grab a hold of your confession of faith today and not give up on it. Not give up on God today because he's never given up on you. He started your life knowing your name before you ever even showed up. So loves you. And even if you're in a situation today that's contrary to hope, hey, have hope. Believe. And if you're here today and you'd like me to pray for you, you're in that place where you need that realization in your life. You need that breakthrough. You need that promise to unfold in your life. But you also are making the decision today to look to him and to not make your decisions based on what you're experiencing, based on worldly philosophy and man's way, but you'll surrender to him. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you today. Hallelujah. Lord, bless these today. Bless them today as they are strengthening themselves in their God. I thank you, Father God, that you make their way prosperous. You deliver them. You didn't just deliver us from hell. You, we live in a constant deliverance. Jesus always leads us in triumph. He always gives us the victory. So I thank you, Lord, for victory right now. Lord, where there has been loss, I think that you make winners out of losers. Hallelujah. You're able to make all situations turn around for good to those who love you and who are the called according to his purpose. Hallelujah. Hope in God. Believe God. God, we believe you today. We believe you. We know that you are more than able. Father God, we accept today that you are more than willing to do it, God. Lord, you watch over your word to perform it. You are not a man that you should lie, nor the son of man that you should repent. You said it, you'll do it, you spoke it, you'll make it good. So we trust you today. We give you the glory today. We glorify our God, hallelujah, above everything else. 
We magnify you. David said, oh, magnify. That is make him large in your sight. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Why don't we just stand together right now? Why don't you lift your hands toward heaven right now? Magnify your God. Declare his greatness. His name is above every name. He has loved you with an everlasting love. His grace is more than enough. Where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. His blood has thoroughly cleansed you from all your sin. He has seated you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are more than a conqueror. Nothing can separate you from his love. Receive his grace today. Love him today. Worship him today. Honor him today. Glorify him. And by so doing, you strengthen yourself in him. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that this people here today, all of these families here, are victorious in Jesus. They are blessed, and they will be a blessing. Strengthen them, even now. Even now. Some of you need to forgive. Open your mouth by faith right now and say, Father, I forgive. Just forgive. Let it go. Don't tie yourself to that anymore. Forgive them. Some of you need to repent. You've been doing things that are not right. You've been in sin. Just repent. Say, Father, I thank you that you forgive me. You're faithful and just. I repent of my sins. I turn from these things. You're here today and you don't know Jesus. <laughs> you don't know Jesus. You've not, you don't have a relationship with God. And you found yourself in church today. What a cool deal for you. Church is not how you get in, in the family of God. Now this, it's a great place to be. But there's only one way for you to be a partaker of that. That is to simply receive what Jesus did for you. That is, Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried in a tomb, and he rose again three days later. That whole action, that whole work, secured a right relationship between you and God. And all you have to do is say, I believe that, and I receive that. It's that simple. God made it so easy for you. He did everything that was necessary for you to know him because he loves you that much. He pursued you with everything through his son. All of his love was given through him. And he invites you to say yes to him. And if you're here today and that's you and you say, I want to know that. I want to be part of the family of God. I want to know God. I need him in my life. Then by faith receive him now. Just say, yes, Lord. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you were buried and I believe you rose again the third day. And I accept your free salvation. I accept your gift of grace. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Pastor Brandon, why don't you come and dismiss our family? Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church. 
If you would like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.